Dan Berkowitz from CID Entertainment and CID Presents, and I'm here on Promoter 101. Welcome, friends, to our special Thanksgiving episode of Promoter 101. I'm Dan Steinberg, sharing the stage with my friend, Luke Pierce. Dan, my count has chapter 60 of Promoter 101, and this week we're going to be joined by Messina Touring Group's Louis Messina. Later on, Shaw Entertainment's Simon Shaw drops by to catch us up in the performing arts world, plus a war story from rival entertainment's Lucy Lawler Frias. And of course, news of the week. We give thanks to all of our listeners, and this is a very special holiday edition, and we are giving you the gift of the best interview we can possibly bring you. Pretty much the biggest talent buyer in the world. Louis Messina, from George Strait, to Taylor Swift, to Eric Church, to Ed Sheeran, to Tim and Faith, to Ozfest, to Sean Mendez. I, I could keep going, but I think you get the point. Louis Messina is the goods. Absolutely no question. He's literally at the top of the business. Well, let's get right into it, Luke. This is John Schultz. I'm Windish. Charlie from Crescent Barroom. Craig Newman. Dave Brooks. Dave Chumley here. Dave Ratner. John Holiday. Ted Becknell. Alex. Imong Shaw. Kelly Lefko. Gerald B. Henley. Harlan Fry here. Jack Ross. Jason Miller. Jeffrey Fox. Joe Escalante. Blair LeBlanc. Martin Atkins. Neil Dixon. Nick Farkas. Paula Palazzo. And I'm on Promoter 101. Promoter 101. Promoter 101! We continue our world tour. You can catch us when we come to a town near you. Aspen Live, we're just weeks away. Dan's going to be sitting down at Aspen Live on December 8th for a one-on-one interview with the president of Ticketmaster North America, Mr. Jared Smith. Flycon's heating up in the Big Easy on January 16th. Promoter 101 has Lockin and Brooklyn Bowl's Peter Shapiro. Shappy, looking forward to that one. Be sure to keep up with us in the meantime on Twitter. Steiny is at The Jew. The show is at Promoters. That's Promoters, plural, 101. And I'm at W. Luke Pierce. We want to hear from you. doesn't just have to be me and Luke going back and forth. You guys can jump in with your thoughts and comments and commentary of the industry anytime you want. Shoot us an email at Steiny at Promoter101.net. We announced a couple of weeks back a theme song challenge. If you like our theme song and we love it, it's called Tongue Bath, and it was originally created by APA's Craig Newman. But we're challenging our listeners to take a crack at rearranging or recording it or reliving it in some way. If we like it, we'll use it on the show. But we need to note that you must be willing to waive any rights so that we can use that track during the opening of Promoter 101. If you've missed any of the past podcasts, you can always catch up at Promoter101.net. This week, we are featuring a reissue of Episode 17 from Pulse. Are live featuring Entourage Tourings, Wayne Forte, and Crescent Ballroom, and the Van Buren in Phoenix, Charlie Levy. If you haven't heard it, it's new to you, baby. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to Promoter 101 wherever you podcast. And please help spread the word by telling your friends about this podcast. And while you're at it, drop us a review if you've got a moment. Hey, it's Pete Shapiro from Brooklyn Bowl and a bunch of other stuff. And I'm going to be down at FlyCon on Promoter 101. Yeah.
So, Dan, some shakeups this week in Nashville. Scott Clayton, the longtime CAA agent responsible for the careers of artists like Kings of Leon and John Mayer and the Dead and Company, and it's huge news. He made the move over to WME after almost 20 years or maybe 20 plus years at CAA, causing a little bit of shakeup. And following with him are agents Buster Phillips and Matthew Morgan. This is according to a source uh, at Polestar. Morgan's definitely joining WME. He worked with Clayton on a lot of different projects projects over there and it makes sense that he's following. I was actually at both of those places on Monday and it was interesting to see the post weekend shakeup for things and usually these defections kind of happen in waves. From what I can gather from it, I think more of these things are going to be coming in the next couple of weeks, Dan. It's that time of year. It is that time of the year. I mean, it's always the end of the year kind of stuff. I think it was a little bit of shock to some people. I'm hearing words that there are more coming, not necessarily from CAA, but there are other big jumps that should be coming. And William Morris is going to continue to get richer on the wave of this from what I'm hearing. So from what I understand, too, some of Clayton's clients certainly are in play. So I'd expect maybe some agency shifts on that. Certainly you expect Kings of Leon to head over with him. But certainly uh, I don't think necessarily everybody's a guarantee. So it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. Scott Clinton's one of the best agents in the world. I have a feeling his acts will follow him, at least the majority of them. Good People at Forbes recently took some time to rank music's highest paid female artists in the music industry using data from Polestar and SoundScan, as well as some sources from industry interviews. So breaking out a few of the ladies' live touring numbers, however, and comparing that income can largely be dependent on the period in which you looked at those stadium-level artists during their touring cycle. So they looked at June 1st to June 1st from 2016 to 2017. We're not really in the business of counting the money that people take home, but we do have a pretty good solid idea on the gross numbers reported. And coming in at number one, Beyonce. She made more than $105 million during that time period. She had formation out in the road. She had a multitude of albums and endorsements during that time, and it was an incredible year for her. I mean, you get an idea of the gross, but when you're talking about shows of this scale, the difference in cost of production can be massive and a massive swing. So just because one gross more than the other doesn't necessarily mean one netted more than the other. And that should be noted when you're talking about shows of this scale. I want to take a minute to give our condolences to a legendary agent who was respected and loved by all. Steve Dahl passed this week. He was a friend and will be missed. Our thoughts go out to Steve's family and his kids out there and everybody that worked with him. He was truly a gentle human being and a kind soul. Dan, you touched on U2. Their tour went on sale this week, however, didn't go well. Start of the month earlier this year, U2 announced their Experience and Innocence Tour for 2018, and they announced that they would be using Ticketmaster's Verified Fan Program, which is designed to beat back bots and scalpers. A lot of people had trouble using this during the pre-sales, and given the age and demographic of a typical YouTube fan, I could see people getting frustrated by this. Not going to be the first time that the verified fan program, which, as Bob Rue talked about in our IEBA interview, is a product that is a priority for that company. It's not the first time this year that it's going to be challenged by a large-scale tour. Taylor's got hers coming up here shortly, and I'm very curious now to see how this rolls out given the experience that you two had. Something as simple as the passwords not working is easily fixed, and clearly it was a screw up. You know, when you roll out any kind of new technology on a massive platform, there are going to be mistakes. It's part of the learning curve. I think this is going to become a well scrutinized thing, so I think Ticketmaster is going to make sure to put their best foot forward, and they're going to fix the problems fast. It's in a priority to them to get it right, and I think they will. And I think you're going to see Taylor have a much smoother up because this is important to Ticketmaster. It's the future of the business. 
Let's take another minute to uh, give our condolences to Partridge family member David Cassidy's family as he lost his fight this week is no longer with us. He was a teen icon and continued to work all the way through his career as a solo artist. R.I.P. David Cassidy. And finally, this week, we want to shine a spotlight on one of the best hangs in our business, Red Light's Jim Louie. He's the bee's knees and always there for his friends, making him this week's Promoter 101 Badass of the Week. Congrats to you, Mr. Louie. Well deserved. Yo, this is Tommy Lee. Yeah, that T Lee. And you're listening to Promoter 101. Fucking turn this shit up, bitches. In our feature interview this week, Messina Touring Group's Louis Messina. He's one of the biggest talent buyers in the world. From George Strait to Taylor Swift to Eric Church to Ed Sheeran to Tim and Faith, he's got the goods. Louis Messina in the house. Thank you for taking the time. I'm really excited. Welcome to LA. You've been on the ground for what, 20 minutes now, right? <laughs> Literally just came here, washed my face and came right to you. That's how important you are in my world. Oh man, I appreciate it. So let's jump right into it. Let's talk about the early days because I know it's global touring and it's big things now, but it started much more humble. Well, yeah, it started like everybody started. For me, it goes way, way back when, when I was seven years old. So, you know, I was part of the audience, saw Elvis perform, and this is all I ever wanted to do. And many years passed. It's so funny. My wife just celebrated her 45th birthday, November 3rd, 1972. And that was the exact same day of my very first concert, um, oh, wow. professional concert. I did shows. I did local bands in high school. But, you know, that was my first show. She... <laughs> Who was the first show? Uh, it was Curtis Mayfield and B.B. King, completely sold out. So it was a great way to enter the business. And everyone's heard this story, so I'll do the abbreviated version. Sold out. They didn't show up. Had a ride in my hand. Went into total depression for years. And then here I am, you know, 45 years later. So you sold out the show and the act didn't show up? <laughs> no, they didn't show up. Oh, Curtis showed up without his band and it wasn't really their fault. They were on a flight that got delayed. They got held up in Los Angeles. They were coming from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and they had to uh, fly through Atlanta. So I had 8,000 people there. And this was when the movie Superfly was just out. It's when Curtis had the, the soundtrack for it. It was the number one R&B and pop soundtrack back then. So you can imagine Imagine what the makeup of the audience was, pimp and whores, you know. And here I am, just a young white boy, and um, going like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into, you know? It's amazing. What market was that? It was New Orleans. That's hometown for me. I was born and raised in New Orleans, and that's where I met my partner and best friend, Alan Becker. I was a local promoter doing shows and, you know, chipping away and uh, making a little name for myself. And Alan and I opened the Superdome together. Alan actually had the exclusive for the Superdome in New Orleans. And so it was Labor Day weekend. He had all type of events from the circus to Bob Hope to the Grambling Southern football game, as I remember. And the only thing he was missing was a rock show. So we had a mutual friend, Judge Eddie Saper. Actually, he was one of my backers. We booked the Allman Brothers, Marshall Tucker, Wet Willie, and the Charlie Dan Daniels Band. It was great. We did like 60,000 people. If Alex Hodges was here, he'd swear there was 80,000 people <laughs> because... He he and Phil Walden, God bless his soul. Once again, a great success story, but what a nightmare, you know, because we had three days of fighting because they wanted to get paid on 80,000 people. And, you know, we 
only had, I don't even know if it was 60,000, you know, I think I have, I'm doing promoter mathematics right now, might have been, it was in the 50s though, it was quite successful, but uh, it, it was a disaster, you know, I mean, as far as trying to be held up and, you know, extortion was in the air, you know, <laughs> but the good thing I had my partner, one of my partner's backers was Judge Eddie Saper, and the good judge, he was a good partner to have at the time. A little bit of influence there. <laughs> yeah, you could talk to Alex about that one. Let's go back to that first show. Did you guys figure out a way to make it play with 8,000 people in the room, no, or did it cancel? No, totally canceled. I had, I'll never forget, Joe Sullivan, who was a promoter out of Nashville, he had Sound 70 Productions. He was my partner, because back then I was knocking on everybody's doors, and he, you know, he goes... I have a show. I'm doing a little run with Curtis Mayfield and B.B. King. And so we met. I was selling radio advertising at the time. I was doing anything I could to get myself involved in the music business. And so finally, uh, a local record rep, he worked with Warner Brothers, and he introduced me to Joe. Joe flew to New Orleans. We did the show. I did everything. This was back then when promoters, you know, <laughs> set up my own ticket distribution, hung the posters, passed out the flyers, did all my own advertising tour the tickets you know I did everything and I had partners who actually did nothing but help finance me but anyway I remember Joe calling me in the afternoon to say you should get a local band because we're gonna be a little late I hired this band and their name was Liquid Smoke I'll never forget because they started at seven and then they went back on at eight then they went back on at nine and then around 10-ish, that's when that's when all the crazy started. That's when people started banging on the door and saying, we know you in there, you... So needless to say, the New Orleans riot squad had to come out and emptied the place. And it was a disaster. And I like wouldn't answer anybody's phone calls for days and wouldn't leave my apartment. Finally, you know, it just dawned on me, that old saying, you know, you got to pay your dues in this business. And I just said to myself, you got to pay your dues. Well, damn, I just took out a lifetime subscription. So I'm good. And so I did a few more shows with Joe. I think my second show was Seals and Croft. And then I met Alan Becker. And we did the Almond Brothers show. And Alan had basically an arrangement with back then it was the Summit, which is now Joel Olstein's church. Really? Yeah, in, in Houston. And so I moved to Houston because Alan said, I have this building. And it was the Summit. And then Alan was not in the music business. He was doing motorcycle races. Pace Motorsports, yeah. right? The parent company. It was pace management, but they didn't manage anybody. They did like the Houston Boat Show, Evil Knievel type shows. The, even that was before, like motorcycle races, Supercross. And then they got into the monster trucks. But I started pace concerts with him in November of 1975. So I, I moved to Houston and started pace concerts with Alan Becker. And so three years after you started doing shows. Yeah, pretty much so. So Alan was my savior, my mentor, all the above to me. You know, he's still my best friend in the world. And he taught me everything about life and about business. I mean, greatest influence I've ever had in my life. Your first show ever starts with a sold out arena show. Yeah. You sell it out. Yeah. And have the Riot Squad come out and have to cancel. Yeah, and the next day, a music store on Canal Street, Whirlon's Music, they back then was hard ticket distribution, and they were the main ticket company. So we offered refunds, and by the way, there was a riot the next morning at the music store, too. Trying to get refunds, so people, everyone like, wanted yeah, their money so first. I was like two for two, and like I went from, I don't know, you, you guys might be too young for Wild World of Sports, or Wide World of Sports, you know. ABC. The, yeah, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. <laughs> well, that's all within 24 hours for me. You know? But you were able to do refunds for everyone on your first event. 
because they held the money. You okay. Know? So your first event, you must have gotten your clock clean financially. Yeah, it was a it was a good cleaning. Had they made that flight, your financial world from day one would have been completely different. Well, I had so many backers back then, and that's the same thing that happened to me after we did the Almond Brothers. After I paid off all my backers, I'm sitting in New Orleans at my desk, and that's when Alan Becker said, "If you ever want to do shows in Houston, uh, give me a call." So I just finished doing the Almond Brothers, and we made money. By the time I paid everyone off, I still was broke. So, so you moved to a much bigger market. Bigger market had a building, a brand new building. And back then it was the most expensive building, but we chipped away. I was like the number 10 promoter in Texas. That's when the original Concerts West started with Terry Bassett and Tom Hewlett. And that's where I met John Meglin and Paul Gongaware through that whole cycle of Concerts West. There was Stone City, Jack Alban. Was Danny doing shows yet? Yeah, Danny was doing shows. Well, he was just started because he had another company before, I think it was 460. To his right. company. And I think he had a, another company before that. But I think it was on a club level. So a lot of competition in that market even back then. Oh, yeah. And it's the truth. You know, I used to get what everybody else didn't want, but I kind of made my mark sort of like in West Texas. You know, back then, bands would do like 10, 12 shows in Texas. And that's how I got involved with bands like Metallica and Def Leppard and all that. They, you know, and Sammy Hagar and Black Sabbath and even like Heart. We used to do a tour of Texas. One of my stable shows... Every year, I did it for like three years running, was Jerry Jeff Walker and opening act Jimmy Buffett. And we used to do that throughout Texas every year. And that was kind of like my bread and butter show, you know, once a year. Everybody had a region and you were big in Texas, but you guys got into the amphitheater business fairly early. That was a big thing for Pace. It was a huge thing for Pace. And Alan Becker and I were walking on the Cotton Bowl grounds and Alan just said to me, you know, Louie, your business really sucks. He goes, you can't make any money. He goes, we got to own the popcorn and, and the parking. Big picture guy. Yeah. And he goes, we need to own our own venues. And of course, building an amphitheater is not like building an arena. You could back then, you could build an amphitheater for $8 million. You're not saying they would stand up because the first when we built did collapse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at, at least, <laughs> which which amphitheater was it? It was in Dallas. It was just a lawn, the back of the lawn. Um, but uh, hopefully uh, there wasn't anybody on stage at the time. <laughs> well, it was Rod Stewart was the opening. I mean, he opened that amphitheater. It wasn't our first one. Actually, it was our third one. The first real one we built was Starwood in Nashville. But it was Brian Becker, Alan's son who was working in theatrical that actually took the dream, the concept. Because I wasn't really a big believer in amphitheaters at the time, you know, but Brian ran with it. Alan started hawking his soul to everybody. We built Starwood. We became partners with Tommy Matola, was running Columbia Records. We we're partners with him in a couple of amphitheaters. Then we were partners with MCA in a couple of amphitheaters. And then one thing led to the other, you know, and before you know it, we owned like 10 or 11 amphitheaters. So then programming 10 amphitheaters and buying at least mini runs to fill them. Oh, it was a joke. It's a turn the page the promoter, you know, like people call me, like, how are we doing? I'll be, you hear back then, there was no computers. You'd be like, ch, 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 <laughs> you know, you would go, okay, when are we playing now? When's that show going on sale? You'd be screaming, hey, when is that show going on sale? And I'll never forget, I was like president of the North American Concert Promoters Association to be continued, whatever it is now. <laughs> I think they still do it. There's only two promoters, there's AEG and Live Nation. So I don't know what the fuck they talk about. What are we going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. Well, I'll pay more. No, I'll pay more than you. And I remember we invited the agents to come and my friend Wayne Forte, I made 
the comment of calling Audist, and this was a turning point of my life, of calling Audist inventory. And he stopped me dead. I mean, it was like, bam, man, he stopped me in my tracks. He goes, I'm sorry, Louis, what, what did you just say? Did you just call Audist inventory? I went, oh, yeah, I sure did. I didn't mean <laughs> to say that, honestly. <laughs> Out loud. You know? <laughs> uh, so God. that was it. You know, we, I'm sitting around and we sold a clear channel. When clear channel took over, I thought radio and live music is going to be great. It's going to be absolutely great, man. We can really grow this business. And I was excited for about two days. Instead of, you know, everyone coming in with an olive branch and saying, how do we grow this thing together? How do we make it really cool? Nurture artists and their art. Instead of coming in with an olive branch, they came in with a baseball bat saying, we're going to control this business. And I'm going like, I'm out of here. How long did that take between the sale and you leaving? I mean, Megalyn left first because he and I got the Spice Girls tour. And that's what happened... You know, it was mostly John, he and I, when Spice Girls were blowing up, right? And you guys were still at... This is SFX. Right, you're still there. And then, you know, all the agents go crazy. John and I made sure the agency was going to get paid. You know, we wouldn't do the tour without the agency getting paid. So everybody went crazy. That's when, I mean, John left first, and then that's when I decided I'm out of here. But I had a contract, and they thought my contract was like for 150 years. And I thought I had a one-year non-compete. So I was able to settle on a two-year non-compete. And you set out for two years. No, I didn't. I was able to call about five bands. I started the George Strait Country Music Festival. So I had a relationship with George Strait. Then I formed a relationship with the Dixie. Chicks, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, and Kenny Chesney. Were some of these acts cut out of the deal that protected that you were allowed and to call them? that's exactly what I did. So for two years, I had a carve out with five of the biggest country bands in the world. So I was really, really suffering. George Strait was doing stadiums. Dixie Chick exploded. Tim and Faith did the first Soul to Soul. Kenny was just like blowing up at the time. And so I had two years of like total poverty, you know, like really. <laughs> Even I with mean, a non-compete, you were the biggest promoter I was the, the biggest promoter in the country with that still had like chains around me and stuff. And so it was so funny though, because when my non-compete was up, John and Paul kept on saying, come on, come to work with us. I said, but John, Paul, y'all can't afford me. But when John did his deal with AEG at the time, I went and sat with LaWiki and one of the SFX people said, oh, clear check. Well, you know, they threatened to sue AEG if they kept on talking to me because I still had my contract. I was still under my non-compete. And so LaWiki said, when it's over, let's talk. So when it was over, he and I talked and they bought half my company and kind of the rest was history. You talked about not wanting to be inventory anymore, but about relationships. George Strait was the first really big relationship where you guys went out and toured something nationally and made that connection where you partnered with the act, right? Partnered with the act, yes. Because, you know, my style of doing business a little different where I am very transparent. You know, I always say if there is a dollar on the ground, you're going to get your share and I'm going to get my share. It's worked out. So my whole career career, jokingly said this, is like six degrees of George Strait. Because, you know, through George Strait, I met the Dixie Chicks, Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, Kenny Chesney, Taylor Swift. Taylor was an opening act when she just turned 17. She toured with George Strait. So that's where I met Taylor. First night, here's this young 17-year-old. Hi, I'm Taylor. And she's out there. You know, she walked on stage with just an acoustic guitar. Her band 
was there. George plays it around. And the second song, she had everybody eating out of the palm of her hands, you know? George Strait, Ronnie Millsap, and Taylor Swift. I saw her work ethic. George would allow artists to sign, meaning like do autographs. And she was the last one to leave the building every single night. And she was the first one in the production office every day, writing hand notes to everybody, calling radio stations all over the country after she's already done two or three radio interviews. Her mom and dad were out there. They would talk to me all the time about, how do you do this? How do you do that? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And I just fell in love with Taylor. So. And that book got Ed Sheeran, right? Because he then, opened for yeah, her at then, some point. And because of Taylor, I met Ed Sheeran, Shawn Mendes, Vance Joy. With Kenny Chesney, I met Eric Church. The only act that didn't go through the system, well, I have two acts now, because Blake Shelton was also an opening act for George, was the Lumineers. The reason why I got involved with the Lumineers, because Lenore was like a fan of theirs, and I know she just did a, a podcast with you not too long ago, I believe, Yeah, and y'all discussed the Lumineers, but she like believed in that band since they were a club band. Everyone tried to hustle the Lumineers, and Lenore said, do you know they might be interested? So I said, let's go to Seattle. That's where management is. So she and I and Allie flew to Seattle. Everybody else met with her. Live Nation met with her, another promotion company that does national tours. I went up there and they adored Lenore. I have a pretty decent reputation. By three o'clock, we were drinking whiskey, you know, and we had a phenomenal tour. I mean, the band was doing three, 4,000 tickets and then to doing two Madison Square Gardens, to doing, you know, sell out arena business everywhere. And we ended the tour doing three sold out shows at Fiddler's Green, you know, it's like so exciting it's an amazing uh, jump from the Stuart Strait business to three nights of lumineers in denver oh it's it's but fabulous. it's all connected it's all connected we're gonna get involved with kelly clarkson you know this year uh she's got a great album and once again it's still the tie you know because reba was an opening act for george that's when novel and reba were married i've known novel forever novel son brandon he's managing and married to Kelly. They said, Louie, would your company be interested? And I heard the record, to be honest with you. I did it as almost a courtesy to them. And then I heard the record. I went, man, this is like amazing. It's a career record. And Kelly's so, about to have a big moment, huh? Oh, she's going to have a huge moment. She's doing a thing on The Voice next year. So that's just going to skyrocket her. I'm excited about it. My staff is excited about her. It's exciting. Let's talk about the touring model. It was a territorial system for a very long time. You had your market or a couple markets. All the big independents broke it up and they didn't really compete too much and go into each other's market. But now you're touring acts on the stadium level and going into everybody else's market. How did that work out? There's two companies now. There's AG and Live Nation. There's a few independents that are barely hanging in there. When you first started doing George Strait's touring festival, it wasn't quite so consolidated yet. No, it wasn't. At that time, no one was really doing country music. You know, it was all in-house anyway. You know, like Alabama would hire a promoter. Conway Twitty would have a promoter. So because it wasn't Metallica, the big promoters weren't raising their hand freaking out. Basically. And it was kind of scary going into other people's markets. I mean, I've been threatened. <laughs> I've been threatened. I've been kidnapped. I've been everything. When we built the amphitheaters, that's when the lines, the territorial lines just went away. And then consolidation, it went away. But even before that, going into a new market, but once again, no one was paying attention to George Strait. Hell, no one was doing country stadium tours but me. That was it. It's funny because Steve Moore, we used to work together. I sent Steve to run the Nashville office, Nashville Amphitheater. He was a believer in George Strait from the beginning. And then Steve moved and I hired someone else to oversee George Strait and literally hated the person that I assigned. So I got fired. 
every time I went to Nashville, Steve would always take me to Irv Woolsey's office and I would always go there and kiss the ring, kiss the ring, kiss the <laughs> ring. And then he did a couple of amphitheater shows for me. And then the stadium in San Antonio, Georgia's hometown was being built. So I came up with the concept of doing a George Strait Country Music Festival and they loved the idea. And so we did a show in San Antonio. It was nothing but fun. Then the next year we did, I think, two shows. It went from San Antonio to San Antonio and Dallas to San Antonio and Dallas and San Bernardino. Then we talked George, I talked George, or we all talked George into doing four years of touring stadiums. Wound up doing like 18 stadium markets a year for four years in a row. That's more business than most promoters will do in their entire career. Yeah, but George was really the first I was doing the Texas Jam that was in Dallas. I started that in 1978, and I did that for like 13 years running at the Cotton Bowl. And it was the first year, once again, a success story one day and thrill of victory and agony of defeat. I had the Texas Jam on one day and Willie Nelson's picnic on the next day. Well, the jam, I had like 80 some thousand people, and I'm still waiting for the walk up for Willie's picnic. They're still coming. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> It wasn't quite the picnic I was looking forward to. <laughs> but anyway, it was nothing but fun. And we did that for years and years, you know. And that rolled into other genres, right? There was OzFest with you guys too, is that right? OzFest, we started. Hal Lazarus, he used to work with me. Uh, he was an agent first at ICM, then at CA, And then Tom Ross, part of my punishment for being a promoter, <laughs> I had to hire Hal. I'm joking. Hal's one of my dear friends. Ozzy had just played the forum. Oh, I was going to say something funny, but I'm not. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and he only did like he did like eight or nine thousand people and San Bernardino, you know, it was like forty thousand capacity. So I said, I don't think that's such a good idea. I said, well, let's do a festival. Let's just do a metal festival, you know. Aldazan, who was the general manager, came up with the name Ozfest, and Sharon loved the idea. We did it and it was a huge success. I think we did 35, 38,000 people. It might have been more, but I can't say more because then Sharon's gonna want to do an Alex on me and want to get paid. <laughs> If I <laughs> exaggerate the number. But anyway, we start doing OzFest. Then Sharon and I together did Van Halen's Monsters of Rock because we had a concept. And Ed Luffler, one of my dear friends, he was going to do Van Halen. And so rather than compete with each other, Ed was able to scoop up all the talent, Metallica and everybody. And so I went to Ed, who, like a dear friend of mine. You know, he managed Sammy Hagar and Hagar King in Texas. I mean, we'd play stadiums with Hagar, you know. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. In Dallas, he headlined uh, the Red Rock the Jam. Was a Stadium act? Oh, in Dallas, yeah. Wow. And he 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 was a major arena act throughout all of Texas. It was St. Louis, Texas, and San Francisco. Was and, Troy Blakely handling him back then? Yeah, he was. Actually, it wasn't even Troy. It was Nick Harris and Dave Leone. Troy worked for them. Oh, in Detroit. Yeah. And so that's when I got involved with Sammy. I got involved with Sammy in like 1973, I believe. He was the opening act. I think they were a premiere at the time because he was the opening act. I, th I think it was Spooky Tooth, Humble Pie, and Montrose. And Montrose was the first of three. It was in, in Monroe, Louisiana. And I see Sammy up there looking just like Roger Daltrey, right? <laughs> I mean, did had all Daltrey's moves and I'm ready to start swinging my microphone right now just to imitate <laughs> Sammy, you know? And I remember sitting on side the stage and just watching him, man. And I just like, this guy's a rock star, man. When I moved to Texas, every time I had an opportunity to put an opening act on, I would always hire Sammy Hagar. 
Joe Cocker, Sammy Hagar, Electric Light Orchestra, Sammy Hagar. His you money know. in the bank, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnny Mathis, Sammy Hagar. Sammy was a worker, right? He just, uh, he'd, he'd say yes he'd to everybody, huh? He'd go, he'd, it was him. And Sammy liked to play, and then he exploded. I mean, radio, Texas radio loved him. Of the 12 or 13 jams I did, I actually was on like eight of them, and that was it. And he and I are still best of friends. I was just at his birthday party down in Cabo, October 13th. You're living a rough life, man, hanging out with Sammy down in Cabo. Well, it's so, so funny, fucker. So I'm there, and I'm his guest, okay, and we watching, and my wife and I, Christine, watching, and then we actually got thrown out, too. <laughs> so we're standing on the balcony, right? And, and the guy goes, you guys got to leave. I go, I don't think he, we need to leave. I go, we're Sam's guest. He goes, no, y'all have to leave. I go, for real? I said, he's going to be really upset when and he finds out that you kicked me out. And I, by the way, so I had a little buzz going on. And I'm, like, <laughs> and I'm going, you know what? And Christine and I were getting a little tired and it was late in the, in the night. And so Sam goes, I emailed, I said, I hope you enjoyed the rest of the evening. We got kicked out. He goes, man, I was looking for you. I go, well, I got kicked out. He goes, and then he saw it going, who was it? Who was it? He goes, man, it was these four people. I didn't want around because they were just hanging on. He goes, but I didn't know you were standing there. So he says, you need to come back tomorrow night. I said, not going to happen. I said, I got my dose last night. I said, we're going to dinner tomorrow night. He says, no, I'm putting your name on a list. You're coming back tomorrow. I go, uh, you can put my name on a list, but it's going to be a no-show. <laughs> Once again, he's a dear friend, and he and I have known each other since 1973, and we're, we'll be best friends forever. So all that led to the Van Halen tour you guys were doing in the stadiums, and that's what Metallica, what, Scorpions were on that? Metallica, Scorpions. Um, it's Monsters of Rock, right? Yeah, Monsters of Rock. Somebody else was on, and of course, Kingdom Come. It was, it was, it was okay. We had all great moments, and we had all... Were you guys partnering with the local regional promoters when you're going into each of yeah, those markets? Yeah, actually, we were partnering on you know, selling it to local promoters. That was when stadium touring wasn't nearly as sleek. Local stages, less steel. You guys we weren't carrying our own production, but I don't know if we carried on stage. I'm not really sure. It wasn't like it is today, you know, where everything is sleek, and if you have right. three stages, they're piggybacked and they're exactly right, the right. same, and everything wasn't the case. to spec. And obviously, sound systems have got a whole lot better. And lot video better. wasn't a thing back then. Maybe you use no, the scoreboard. Yeah. Board. Literally video, not, not LED screens. It was actually projections. And yeah, that times have changed quite a bit. Times have changed. It's a different world where now bands will play without roofs because they don't want anything to get in the way of their video show. Yeah, except when it starts raining and then you go like, what were we thinking? Well, that's amazing. That stadium business is something that you guys have really moved into and changed the volume on quite a bit because it used to be there'd be one or two stadium tours a year and now there's six or seven and it's leaning towards that world of 10 and crazy I, the volume. three stadium tours next year with Kenny Chesney, Ed Sheeran, and Taylor Swift. Clearly going to be the biggest tour of the year. Taylor Swift is everywhere. Everywhere. Where do you start? How do you focus on that? Like That could wind up doing multiples in a lot of markets, even in stadiums, I would assume. Taylor's a superstar. The album is great. I got to listen to it a few times before it was released. For my birthday, uh, what she gave me for my birthday was a invitation to a listening party, and we had a listening party out here. I personally think it's our best piece of work that she's ever done. She hasn't even gotten to where she's going. She hasn't. I've said that when she was 17. I said that when she was 21. I said that when she was 20, 24, 27. You know, every tour that 
She's a one-of-a-kind artist. That's global business for you, right? Yes, global business. Even though we're partnering, we're doing it with international with Live Nation, and it's exciting. Was that a different jump for you? Because in the case of like Ed Sheeran, it's not global necessarily. It's not global. I do Shawn Mendes globally and Taylor globally. Ed was actually bigger around the world than he is in the United States. We're always one cycle behind the rest of the world with Ed. Yeah, seeing what Kilimanjaro did with him and adding multiple stadiums and all those markets. Yes, to be continued. Stewart's having a career just off of that one artist. Well, that, that's his only artist. <laughs> so <laughs> why would he have another artist, you know? Taylor and Ed, just like, all my artists, I'm so blessed. Every artist I work for, honestly, they are amazing. I, you know, I have a saying, only want to work with artists that want to work with me. And I work for them. I work for the artists. They don't work for me. I just help make their dreams come true. And But like I said, Taylor, Ed, Kenny, George, they're just timeless. And I can go on down the road. And Sean, I mean, just like the MTV Awards, he, he won Best Male vocalist or not male best entertainer or something I mean he beat everyone and he just turned 19 man and this kid's a star. And on top of that, Eric Church is- Eric is killing it. It's a stadium world now, right? Oh, we're getting there, yeah. I love Eric. I love Catherine. I love Pete's and Fielding, uh, the whole Q Prime Nashville team. Eric played with Kenny in a stadium tour uh, about four, maybe five years ago. And then I was on Eric's bus talking to he and his wife. He goes, you know, Louie, I never thought I'd like playing stadiums because it's pretty cool because <laughs> what's bigger than the stadiums that's when i realized i love this guy <laughs> yeah i love what's this guy. the answer what is bigger than stadiums? i go we'll figure it out you know like i think know. the pope used to do reservoirs when he came he like yeah like, i mean go we'll play the something. literally play the beach <laughs> you know you're gonna have to drain the ocean eric um one night we're on george Strait's bus and eric goes i've got a great tour the king and the chief because you know eric loves george Strait. i mean george loves eric and that's what i love about the artists i work for they all like each other and i'm always trying to connect them to each other have the family interact well it's the truth you know it's awesome when taylor shows up for Kenny's show in Nashville. I mean, she's on the live album, you know, and, you know, they do Big Star on the album. You know, Eric's on the album. They're all friends. They all love, you know, it's It's all organic. It is organic because everybody except for George Strait opened for somebody somewhere down the road. And so everyone got to know me, got to know how, not only me, but my team and how we operate. And I got to know them and how personalities just either worked or didn't. And those, I got lucky, man. Jack D'Angelo's have treated me really okay you know i brainwashed everybody george decides he's not going to tour anymore he did not say that oh no oh no no yes he did say he's not touring anymore but but he's not retiring right but you guys have figured out a residency in vegas so you got an artist who's no longer touring still working still working which he said he every press release every word out of his mouth not every word could you imagine if every word out of his mouth i'm not retiring but i'm not touring i'm not retiring that would be like really boring if every word out of his mouth was that but what he said is that with Tulsa right now too, right? They put he, a couple shows doing, on sale. We're doing December in Vegas and we're doing February in Vegas, Super Bowl weekend. Two nights in Tulsa, one night at the Frank Irwin Center, one night at the Superdome in New Orleans. And that's sort of a, like a little festival. George Drake, Chris Stapleton, Little Big Town, Casey Musgraves and Midland. And Damn. we're going to do 50,000 people. But that's it. Next year, probably George will do, I don't think he'll do any more than five, seven, eight shows a year. Because I had this whole retirement, retirement thing. Like, this is it type of thing. Like when Sinatra said, 
this is it. George, like, you know, he loves the audience, his audience. But the idea of him touring is not in his world. You know? So he wanted to slow down a little bit, but still enjoys performing? He loves being on stage, but he doesn't love the idea of having to go do 20 shows, 25 shows, you know, 10 weekends of his life. He wants to do a weekend here, a weekend there. And that's why the Vegas thing was just perfect. Can't really talk to you without talking about the other big horse. And that's obviously Brian O'Connell, BOC. Between the two of you guys, you control country music. You know, I don't know about control country music. I mean, I don't... I know the agents and managers like to think they're involved sometimes. Well, they are involved, you know. The good agents and the good managers are involved. The bad agents and the bad managers are not. <laughs> Which ones are the bad ones? I'm not going to, you know. <laughs> I don't care. And agents don't sell to me. I don't know. You know, some of them do. Marty Diamond does and his whole team. Um, and actually, I'm doing... That's not true. I have got now a new rapport with my agents. I'm working with CA, with, with Kelly. and Was there a time where the agents were scared that you'd get too close to the axe and they get cut out? Is that why that's a new rapport that's coming back around? I don't think. I, I think people just don't like me, you know? <laughs> I don't think that's the case. <laughs> I don't Very know. personable. I think that's uh, why not, you succeeded. I'm not, I'm not going there. I, I, you know, I've got nothing but friends. I just do my business. Country music, like George Strait, was always in-house. Kenny Chesney was always in-house, never had an outside agent. George, in the very beginning of his career, buddy had Buddy Lee, but then it, it went in-house. That's how country music was. Rock was never that way. It was all agency-driven. And, you know, there's where you had to talk to the agent, if you can get them on the phone and all that kind of stuff. And now it's like, it's a little more open up, you know? Like, the act controls country, the right. act controls. But between the two of you, you've got most of the major tours. Well, Brian works his ass off, man. He's on the road more than me. And I was on the road over 200 days last year. I mean, I think there's nothing but respect for me. You guys share them. information, right? As far oh, as traffic totally. on sales totally. and trying not to be on t- Like, it only behooves you guys Always. to let each other know because your shows could cannibalize each other if you're not careful. And we work with each other. I mean, you know, like Kenny plays the Live Nation amphitheaters, you know. One of my acts, you know, I've got an open invitation. Live Nation or Brian or, uh, I mean, Michael and Arthur, they're my dear friends. You know, Bob Rue, come on. Bob and I been together for 25 years. I hired Bob. He worked with me at Pace Concerts and we're still best of friends. I don't want to be competitors with anyone. I really don't. If an act wants to work with me, they'll work with me. I am not going to outbid somebody. You know, if someone has a relationship with, let's just say Live Nation, unless they really you you don't want to work with them, you need need to go tell Michael Rapido, I don't want to work with you. Then come see me. You need to have that conversation, but I'm not going to try to steal someone. And, you know, I have Thomas Rhett opening for Kenny this next summer. And Brian said, don't steal Thomas. I said, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I didn't. I had Jason Aldean not with Kenny a few years ago. Not one time was I hustling, you know, Jason or Chris, his manager. You're saying, oh, come work for me. I'll make you more money, you know? But it only behooves you guys to have the best support act. So you guys allow that. Yeah, it's good business for Kenny. And it's good business for me because, you know, it's just good business. And it's best for the fans because they're getting a better show. It's best for the fans. And it's best for everybody. Instead of, you know, jacking up ticket prices. When you jack up guarantees, that means you jack up ticket prices and you cannibalize in markets, you know? Honestly, if I'm routing a tour, I will send that tour. If it's BLC, if it's Bob Rue, and we talk 
And, you know, like, I don't want to be on, if I've got Ed Sheeran just making this up, I don't want to be on top of Justin Timberlake. I just don't want to be. If I got Kenny Chesney, I don't want to be next to Luke Bryan or Jason Aldean. You know, it's right. just you not want, healthy. It doesn't help the market with the traffic no, or so. the, there's only so much radio inventory and, anyway. And Brian doesn't want that either. So we always are flipping. There is an East Coast and a West Coast, but there is the middle of the country that you have to go through. So sometimes we Somewhere do. you're going to crisscross. We try to do our best. We talk to each other all the time. Country used to be a matter of touring Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then back to Nashville and just satelliting out. Have you seen that change in modern years? Has it become more pop? Well, uh, some artists are like that. Eric Grand did it out. He did a rock did a tour, rock, yeah. You know? He's got his wife and he's got his two sons out there on the road with him every night. And so it's like a family affair. Kenny is pretty much a weekend warrior Thursday through Saturdays, you know, or, or Sundays, if that's the case. We may pop because when you get out to Denver and Salt Lake City. You may need to do a Tuesday or Wednesday because it's tough to route. Blake is just weekends only, you know. Um, George is a day only. <laughs> uh, it's know. not hard to route that tour. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do Vegas. Okay. It seems like the assets that AG has allowed you has really helped things like that come along too, with the ability to just do Vegas with this brand new arena. Like the synergy there is great. The synergy is great, but the synergy is like, it's the act, you know, if you have the act, you can play anywhere you want. You know, <laughs> if you got George Strait or Taylor Swift, Ed Sheeran or Eric Church or Kenny Chesney, no one's going to say no to you. Must be a pretty good place to sit. You know what? I get to sit in the passenger seat. They're driving the bus. I'm washing the bus for them, but they're driving the bus. I love what I do. I really do love, I love the artists I work for. Besides being great artists, they're just wonderful people. Matter of fact, I try so desperately to cancel coming out here this weekend. I think I faked an illness. I'm not sure. But I, <laughs> but I, but I couldn't let Tim and Faith down. I just couldn't do it. I'm going, but I'm gonna, no one's going to want to talk to me. Faith is beautiful. Tim is beautiful. I mean, you, you, beauty's in the beast, you know? Like, when I want to talk about, yeah, you know, I work for Tim. Tim and Faith. Faith, you look really good on the CMAs the other night. Yeah, I sure did. And Tim's going, yeah, she sure did. Nobody else looked at it like that, though. And Louie, <laughs> I'm talking to you, too, now. <laughs> I love them. I've known them from the beginning of their career, and I've seen Faith pregnant with all three daughters and their friends and family at the same time. And how can I not be here? It seemed like the theme of your success in business is that you treat the acts in a service business way, that you treat them like their priority and the act comes first. Because they are, they do. <laughs> you put my name on a ticket, guess what? I, I might draw, you know, if I'm in a bar, I could draw a crowd. <laughs> but, you know, I'm a good club act, okay? <laughs> but really, you put my name on a ticket and try to play an arena or a stadium, doesn't work. It's about the artist, period. At the end. So funny. I talk to arenas. I go, oh, why are you playing that dump? You know, I'm like, you know, you got to play this building. I go, well, you're too expensive. I go, you know, every show I've done in, in the dump has always sold out. And the acts make like three times as much money. So, you know, yes, you may be a nicer, more expensive arena, but people like going to the dump. Five decades of promoting. I know. It's pretty. No, I'm not quite five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 70s, 80s, 90s. 90s yeah, I know. Thousands yeah, that's now, right. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. I just celebrated my 45th year, November 3rd. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. Doesn't sound like there's any uh, slowing down. You just keep picking up more tours. I keep on telling my wife, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And then I'm going like, this record is so fucking good, man. Like, oh, Man, you should have seen it, you know, when seeing Sean, like, here's a 16-year-old opening for Taylor, just with an acoustic guitar. And I'm going, 
oh my gosh, this kid is so good. Big old smile on his face, you know, seeing Vance Joy up there and just the songs are great. Seeing Taylor when she was 17. And, and you hear the audience, I mean, what energy you get when you're, I'm sitting, you know, at the soundboard or, or standing outside the stage or just walking around the arena and hearing 18 or 50,000 people going crazy, you know, that energy, there's nothing like it. Do you have any tips for the young industry coming up on how to be successful in the business before I let you go? Follow your dream, man. It's the only tip I can give anybody, you know, don't take no for an answer and just follow your dream and, and do the right thing. Do what you're supposed to do and the money will be there. If you chase the money, you'll never get there. And that's the truth. Just do what you're supposed to do. Do everything the right way and you will get rewarded. There will be acts, there will be managers that if you do things the right way, they will give you a shot. Hustling is one thing, but being sincere and listening to an artist, I mean, really listening to an artist and their manager and hearing what their dreams are. That's the first question I ask every artist I work for. Tell me your dreams. Don't let me like guess what's inside your head. Why don't you tell me what's inside your head? Because you've had it inside your head since the first time you heard that one song or saw that one artist or something inspired you to do what you're doing. So tell me about your inspiration and tell me where you want to, where you see yourself in 10 years. And I never get to the 10 year mark because was, I'll never forget. Oh, and I'll end with this. Kenny Chesney, I'm in Dallas, Texas at the new AT&T stadium. And I get a phone call. Kenny's looking for you. And normally you go like, oh shit, I'm in trouble. What's wrong? What did I do wrong? Your whole life flashes in front of you. And Kenny came up to me. I finally found him, right? He goes, Louie, I got it. I got the next 10 years. I go, what is it? He goes, No Shoes Nation. That was it. I go, I can love this, you know, because Kenny and I, I mean, it was Kenny, I mean, follow his vibe. And he goes, everything was about No Shoes Nation. That's his world. That was all organic. He came up with that himself. Oh, totally. And he, you know, he wanted to share that because I'm always saying, we hit our 10 year plateau. And I always said, you know, Kenny, we got to think about the next 10 years. And Kenny tracked me down. I'll, I'll never forget. He said, walk with me. And the fucker made me walk onto the top of AT&T Stadium so he could like get sun while I'm having a heart attack looking down, you know? <laughs> and so truth and that was uh, a long time ago you know and uh, the birth of no shoes nation where in new england at gillette stadium they put up the flag i appreciate you making the time thanks Lou. thank you so much i really enjoyed this i appreciate the invitation and uh, i love you getting inside of people's heads so congratulations and thanks for having me promoter 101 dan i think this might be one of the best interviews that we've had on a Promoter 101. It doesn't really get much better than that. A big thank you to Louie for joining Dan during Billboard Touring Conference. This is JJ Kasiri from Circle Talent Agency, and you're listening to Promoter 101. Dan, I want to jump into some of the tweets from the past week. Can you humor me and explain what was going through your head when you wrote each of these Promoter 101 tweets? Let's start here. I find the term, quote, all-star is overused and more importantly tends to be attached to lineups with little to no star power. Anytime I get pitched anything that has the words all-star in the name, I assume it's spam and move on. When I realize I know none of the other venues on the tour route and it hits me, it's not because I'm ahead of the curve. Hashtag dude. Yeah, I missed the boat on this one. When your industry favor requests from friends go from being comps for the rock concerts to VIP hookups for the kids shows. Yeah, the hookups for the kids is paramount, man. Looking cool to your kids, nothing better than that. Usually happier to make that favor happen, too, besides the comps for the rock shows. Always happy to hook a kid up. Dan, that'll do it for Promoter 101 Tweets. You can follow Dan on Twitter. He's at the Jew. And if you have any of your own Promoter 101 thoughts, feel free to tweet them at us. The show is at Promoters 101 on Twitter 
or you can email them over. Anything that makes us smile is going to get used on the air. Hi, I'm Holly Gleason, editor of Women Walk the Line, here at Promoter 101, where they know how to get it done. This week's war story comes from Rival Entertainment's Lucy Lawler-Frias. Promoter 101. Lucy, do you have a war story for us? My funniest story is how I got the first call to do prints in Atlanta. I was working from home and my daughter was sick with a stomach flu and I was checking my email and I got an email about booking prints. So I said to them that right then and there, I'm home with a sick child. You're welcome to call me. Here's my cell phone number, but you may hear vomiting in the background. Just being real with you. <laughs> being real. And in five minutes, I got the call and we started talking about Prince in Atlanta. And uh, we all know how that went. Two great shows and unfortunately his last shows. But I literally was holding the vomit bucket for my daughter when, <laughs> when I did that deal. <laughs> Modern day businesswoman. That's right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lucy's on the move. She's in the big chair at the Fox in Atlanta, as well as overseeing Rival Entertainment. We have a feature interview coming up with her in just a couple of weeks. She is clearly happening. Bob Rupp here on Promoter 101. Dan, we got some birthdays this week. It's a short week. November 24th to the 30th, 2017. Friday the 24th, Kit Kesey from the McDonald Theater. On Saturday, wishing a happy birthday to David Galea. Simone Galperin, Dan Perino, and APA's Steve Lassiter. Sunday, Stu Anderson. On Monday, happy birthday to the man in KC, AEG's Mike Descharmes, plus Melody King. Tuesday, legendary musician Paul Schaefer and Fresno's own Art Silva. And on Wednesday, WME partner and Nashville co-head Jay Williams and JJ Cassieri. Thursday, John Finberg and Mike Crowley. Happy birthday to everyone from the gang at Promoter 101. Hey, what's going on? This is Bubbles. This is Julian. And this is Ricky. You're listening to Promoter 101. <laughs> Finally today, we close with a quick interview with Shaw Entertainment's Simon Shaw. A gentleman and a scholar, Mr. Simon Shaw, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Your accent gives it away immediately. You're not originally from America. I'm not from around here, no. And in fact, having an English accent means that I make a living. It's a beautiful thing. In the arts world, it seems like that would almost make you an expert. You sound sophisticated. People definitely think I know what I'm talking about. You got them all fooled, huh? Well, I'm still getting away with it. It's my 10th season. What brought you to the States? I fell in love with an American woman who I'm still married to. You got the girl. Yeah, no, I got the girl. So, and I've been here uh, since 99. You were focused in the theater world. Who are some of the acts that you're most excited about that you're handling these days? Well, I'm really now focused in theater for young audiences. And I work with a variety of companies from all over the world, touring in the States and, and some US artists touring internationally. People who have been with me the longest, I work with an illusionist, Bill Blagg, who's going from strength to strength, is actually selling tickets in a hard ticket environment. That's exciting. We love hard ticket. Yeah. And Dr. Kaboom does science shows for kids and families. He's blowing up stuff all over the place. And wonderful dance company out of Holland who are making dance for young people. We showcased it here in the States and actually got a three-month tour for a dance company for young people. So that's pretty bonkers because people don't present dance, let alone dance for young people. So I feel like I'm getting away with it. You also book a beautiful theater. Yeah, I book a 765-seat theater in the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts, which is perhaps the hardest thing I do. Finding acts to fit in the space at the right price for the right ticket price, as you know, is the secret to all of it. Especially in the East where there's so many markets that overlap and take yeah. each other out of the yeah. circle. Yeah. Where we are, I'm challenged because you can play Northampton and Albany. You could play both shows on consecutive nights. But if you play Pittsfield, you couldn't play either one of those venues. Now, do you find that it helps you in business to 
be an agent and a buyer that you have a cross of different people you get to talk to? I think so. It makes me, I think, more empathetic. And, you know, I see both sides. I know what happens when a show goes into a building, what that means. As a buyer, I know the agent. So it gives me an opportunity to talk to everybody and see who's doing what well. Before you moved over from the UK, were you also in the business? Yeah, I worked uh, for a promoter in London called Derek Block, who some of your English uh, listeners may know. And I worked with him for six years and learned a lot. So you were on the promoter side and then became an agent? I was on the promoter side. And when I moved to New York, I worked for the Booking Group, which is a Broadway booking agency. I had a couple of positions there. I was the assistant to the president, which I uh, was not a very good assistant, became a contract manager and then became an agent, sold Broadway shows. And then went up to uh, the Colonial in the Berkshires when we moved out of New York in 2005 and then subsequently worked with APA. In 2008, I actually went out on my own and this is my 10th season. You're an amazing industry that you get to understand the world market because you know globally from being an international player. Than I, most. I think it gives you a different perspective. And, um, in England, we do things slightly differently. So it brings, I think I bring different skills to your average agent. You book on the other side of the road? I've booked a little bit internationally. We do book on the other side of the road. I thought that was cute. It was very good. Well, funnily I'm enough, very I, proud of when myself. I go back to London, I sometimes drive on the wrong side of the road and I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's like you become one of us. Yeah. Well, I became American last year, got my passport. Now the president can't kick you out. That's right. What kind of advice can you give our listeners that are coming up in the business? Make friends, treat people with respect. You never know where the person you're talking to right now is going to show up next. And that's what I've really learned along the way. Now, before I let you go, I want to ask you about one of the more creative acts that I think anybody's ever pitched me. I believe it was Romeo and Juliet set to Radiohead. Yeah. So it was Radio and Juliet, which I first saw in Pittsburgh in 2008 an hour-long ballet, so perfectly tight length because you can't get bored. Contemporary dance set to Radiohead, and I'm a huge Radiohead fan. So for me, it was sort of like this match made in heaven. And we got one tour in the States, and we explored a couple of dates. Fortunately, they never worked out. But uh, If there's ever talk with Radiohead of taking them out with them? I think it was a dream. I once stood next to Tom York, but didn't have the guts. We think they were aware of the project, but we don't really know. I think the next step is to send them the video and be like, hey, guys, take us out with you. Do you mind being our live backup? It's nice of you guys to close for us. We really appreciate that we had to catch a flight. So this is great. I love listening to you. It's like I get to a bit of Steiny in my life every week. What could be better than that? Seems a little creepy when you put it that way. No, it's great. Promoter 101, hanging out with the legendary Simon Shaw at the WA conference in Seattle. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Simon is the kind of guy that just puts a smile on your face whenever you run into him. Fantastic interview. Hello, this is Sarah Mertz, Julia Frank, Zariel Hyatt, Ali Spagnola, LX, Marsha Flesick, Andrea Johnson, and we're on Promoter 101. Promoter 101. Promoter 101. Appearing live on Promoter 101. Hey, if you want to reach out to us, send us an email to Steiny at Promoter 101. We promise to respond to you. On next week's podcast, that's episode 61, we're going to have CA's John Huey. Manager David Geller and a war story from CID's Dan Berkowitz. If you caught Dan Berkowitz's war story last week, you know you're not going to want to miss the next chapter from him. We got an interview coming up with him in a couple weeks, too. Can't wait for next week's show. But until then, we're wishing you sold out shows, amazing turkey, safe travel weeks, and a great holiday weekend. Cheers. This is Peter Schwartz, WMA in New York on Promoter 101.